So Jeb, rumor has it, Jeb, that you are the world's leading expert on aviation oil filters. Yeah. <laughs> I am not the world's leading expert on oil filters. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, he is he is an authority, however, on buying oil at discount and getting it hand trucked to his airplane or his right. car. That's well, right. Yeah, he's, and, he's legendary and, for that, and, no question. And Mr. Higdon has driven me in the golf cart at Sun and Fun on several occasions to get, you know, to my car uh -huh. with, with a couple of cases of, of oil tacked on the back. So, yeah. Now, it's been literally years since you've been able to restock in that particular way. I would imagine this has become quite a hardship, you know. It actually hasn't um, because I can order the stuff off Amazon these days. Well, but okay. Is that the same? I don't have to slap it. It materializes at my front door. Well, you know, there's a lot it's of that like, going on. It's around, like, but, you know, beam yeah. me in, Scotty. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But just, don't you, 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 I don't know. You, 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 you know, you get a chance to, I don't know what the joke is. I don't here. know where you're going with that either. <laughs> I don't know either. No, the, the, you, you always seem to really enjoy the process of getting your oil at these places. At, I do. At, at, I do. At Sun and Fun and, and, and yeah. Uh, Oshkosh. Yeah, I, um, I, I do. I haven't been to Sun and Fun in two years. Yes. Uh, in the meantime, I've needed oil. So therein yeah. lies the Amazon uh, thing. Right. So, but in a couple of weeks, you're going to be at, at Sun and Fun. Uh-huh. And I guess my question was, do you need to restock? or, 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 or I, I don't you... need to restock um, oil. Uh, I was worried about filters there for a while. Right. So now... But how is it that I came to think that you might be the world's leading expert on aviation oil filters? All kidding aside, you had a chance. You had a little, little, uh, little experience. Here, I had right? an experience. I, I, I've cut open oil filters a lot. I cut open uh, some oil filters for uh, yes. a comparison test years ago. Yes, you've showed um, me the process. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yes, yes, it yeah. is interesting. Um, I went to buy some because I, you know, I <laughs> got all this oil. <laughs> Might as well, you know, you know, put some of it in the engine. Yeah, uh, change the oil, and I just I went to you know just I have a rule I have a rule. Yes, never drain the oil from an engine unless you already have the filter in your hand. <laughs> I see. It sounds to me like maybe that was a hard learned lesson at some point. There's another story there. But, there uh, isn't, at least associated with the airplane. There may have been one years ago with the car, but that's just a there. with with a car. But that's just a kind of a. Standard okay. rule that okay. That, uh, well, it goes right change. up there with yeah. don't start refilling your engine with oil until you put the drain <laughs> plug yeah. back. Yeah, and and well, actually, yeah, double check the drain plug a couple of times too, just for grins, uh, because people have known to get interrupted. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, you definitely check it. Um, so, did you have was 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 getting a oil filter in your hand a challenge this time? It, it was. It, 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 in it, what way? It what might happened? still be. I'm not sure. I went to my usual source, which was Aircraft Spruce. Mm -hmm. uh, first, I checked on Amazon. And they yeah. had one size of, of the brand that I wanted, but not the size I need. Um, Aircraft Spruce is my uh, kind of my go-to for, for aviation-specific parts. And... They didn't have any. They were advertising May 24 as a mm. ship by date. And I said, well, that's not going to do at all. 
So uh, I started calling around. I started surfing the web and uh, a bunch of, you know, go-to vendors did not have any of these soil filters. And okay. they were Is saying they're, they're out of stock and, and they're on order and they're on back order, you know, something like that. And uh, we can't, we can't give you a ship date. Really? Okay. Yeah. So, so you still I, don't have one? I have six <laughs> sitting in the foyer. Here, well, wait right a minute now. Okay. All right. So problem solved is what you're saying. Problem solved, but I had to make some phone calls and, and uh, deal with some people I've never dealt before. It was a pleasant experience. Pleasant. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Okay. It, it all worked as, you know, as it all should. I called a guy, our, our shop, a parts vendor, I should say, I know, on the West Coast. There's, they, speci they specialize, I should say, in Beechcraft parts. But there's some, you know, cloud out there that lists parts and availability for a variety of different vendors. I don't know the name of it, but it's, it's there because this guy gets on the computer and says, well, so-and-so in Podunk has three of these or something like that, you know, right. according to the computer. But um, he turned me on to a, he didn't have any either. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's like, well, this is interesting. And, and he's a parts guy and he didn't know this. That they that they were in short supply, but he he checked his his cloud thing cloud app and yeah. there was a company up in Idaho had six, okay, and I bought them all. So yeah, okay. So so all right, all right. No, no, I'm I'm laughing. Yeah. So totally you may true. or may not be the world's leading expert on on aviation oil filters, but you've apparently cornered the market. You now you now, you now have a, 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 a the the world's complete supply of yeah, this that, particular. There was brand. a company in Texas that was listed as having um, over a hundred, over I think a couple hundred of these. Which just did not seem realistic to me. Yeah. Um, so I didn't even bother calling them. And I'm sure there are other uh, likely suspects, um, usual suspects that I did not call that who would have them. I see. Now, so is this? Uh, what are these exactly? Is this a? Is this just a, a particular model or make or part number of a of an otherwise automotive oil filter? Oh or no. Is, oh no. What makes it special for aviation purposes? Um, that it's FIA approved. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I it's an oil that. filter. You know, yeah. this is not rocket science. It's an oil filter. Um, my particular application has a bypass valve. Uh -huh. uh, my particular application has a uh, whatever the, I think it's nine sixteenths or something thread, maybe three quarters thread. Um, uh, female as opposed to male, and those two variables, as well as height, mm -hmm. so there's three variables, um, go into the mix of uh, oil filters that are approved for my engine. Okay. Uh, so you, or standard standard aviation oil filters, I should say, goes into the mix of how they're designed, how they're marketed. Different engines require different uh, a size filter. Uh -huh. a different fitting, a different uh, whether it's male or female thread, things like this. Bypass valve, no bypass valve, and you know, those are the, as I say, those are the three main variables. Uh, how common is the? And I mean that in a good. I don't mean that in a bad way. How common is the engine in your airplane? Is is it is it a unique? No, it's extremely common. That's what I would have thought. Yes, it's a one of these standard. Yeah, I don't know what. IL five twenty. Yeah, uh, VA. And yet, and yet, 
the world, and yet there's a shortage, there's a worldwide shortage of uh, oil filters for them. Worldwide is kind of a, is a leap. Uh, there was <laughs> okay. a Sarasota, uh, a wide shortage of them. Well, you and, had to go to Michigan to find one. I know. I know. Idaho. See, worse, even yeah. further away. What are your thoughts, David? Is this, you ever run into this kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, you know, different heights. Uh, if you look at the uh, oil filter for a, a, a Rotax 912, uh, smaller diameter, mm-hmm. and shorter deck height, yeah. um, mm-hmm. but similar fittings. So uh, you need to get one that matches what the uh, airplane book says. Yeah. should mm-hmm. be there because there are differences in burst pressures. The differences in the amount of pressure coming through, through the engine to oil pump that, that necessitate those burst pressure differences. Uh, and then, of course, there's is there enough room there to get a funnel underneath it before you loosen it and, uh, and otherwise bathe your hands, fingers in the bottom of the engine with the leaking oil? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jeb, you have a fairly, as I recall, you have a fairly uh, uh, elaborate, planned out, um, joking about the, the oil, the drain plug. Um, you can't just pull out the drain plug on your engine and let it drain into a bucket on the ground, right? You have this you have this hose that you use. I've seen you do this a couple of different times. And yeah. you, have to, you have to run this particular hose in a particular way so that the oil doesn't like get all over what the inside of the cowling or something. Like that. Yeah. Let me, let me preface this by saying that the underside of my air of the, my debonair will never corrode. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's, okay. it's highly treated. I get yeah, it. It's, yeah. it's well treated. Well, well lubricated. Um, yeah. I have to run a, a, a clear hose, PVC right. hose up through the, the uh, cow flap opening and into the engine compartment. Um, I have a quick drain on the bottom of the oil pan. And uh, I actually now ha- basically have to use two hoses because it's a safety precaution. Uh, we, uh, I uh, removed a, a trailing hose that was always on the, on the uh, quick release, quick, mm-hmm. uh, quick drain. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I have to have two hoses, one a small diameter to fit the quick drain, which then feeds into the larger diameter drain hose that runs into a five-gallon bucket that contains all my used oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it, yeah, it, it, it gets interesting sometimes. It gets no, I, yeah, I, it it seems interesting, and yeah. I've watched you do, or you've you've shown me how you do it a couple times, and uh, the whole idea of of checking your oil and in fact inspecting the filter for debris. You know, I mean, it makes total oh, sense. Yeah. And, I remember uh, we, we cut one open and pawed through it. Yeah. 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 No, it's pretty interesting stuff. Anyways. And avoid trying to use a hacksaw to do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You don't want to use a hacksaw to open up your oil filter because you, hacksaws create shavings. Shavings oh, yeah. so, that are almost indiscernible from what the engine might ah, be making. I see. Okay. So it's, it's, uh, yeah. It's, it's, precisely. It's, yeah. Precisely. So you use a, yeah, you, you use a filter cutter. It's quantum yeah. physics. the 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 act of observing the thing changes the thing. Yeah. <laughs> See what I did there? See what I did there? Okay. All right. Well, so congratulations, Jeb. You seem to apparently have a sufficient supply now of both oil and filters. So you're you're kind of good to go for a while. It's, it's Schrodinger's oil filter. <laughs> it's Schrodinger's oil filter. 
Welcome, folks. Welcome to Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. At I'm long Jeff. last. At long last. I know it's been, uh, the, the, yeah, never mind. I, we've just got to stop making excuses, or I'm going to stop making excuses. Um, it is what it is. We're here today, and uh, and we're uh, we're talking here in our virtual hangar. I'm Jack Hodgson, coming to you from uh, the uh, 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 getting warmer every day, uh, Dover, New Hampshire, uh, on the banks of the uh, no longer ice-covered Cochico River. And, uh, um, yeah, the, uh, the water's coming up. I was over at Lookout Point the other day and the, uh, the lake's coming up slowly and, uh, um, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely becoming spring, which is a good thing. Yay. Um, just in time for me to leave and go to Florida for a little while. Um, but that's the way it works every year. I'm here in our virtual hangar talking to uh, my two good friends. Uh, one of those voices is from the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas. That's Dave Higdon. Hi, David. How are you doing? Uh, I'm going to wave that one off and do a go around. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, you're here with us today, so everything's fine. Um, and, uh, yep. um, always, always, uh, enjoy hanging out with you two guys yeah. and yeah. W- whether it's in person or electronically like today. Yeah. Now, what's going on with you, David? So you're, you're, you're keeping busy though, right? Is, is it turning to spring there or is it, uh, yeah, it's actually uh, quite pleasant today. A little overcast. Uh, could it be a little warmer and brighter? But uh, we've had uh, lows, overnight lows that were in the upper 30s, and daily highs for about a week now in the 50s to low 70s. So, Ooh, yeah, that's nice. We haven't had low 70s yet, but we're we're touching 50 every now and then. Well, that's yeah, cool. surprised I'm not. It surprised me I'm not seeing more uh, light GA traffic coming out of uh, Eisenhower Airport and and Dead Cow International, because my house kind of sits on the north departure uh, mm-hmm. routes and uh, it's been fairly quiet. Surprised me. Hmm. Interesting. And also here in our virtual hangar is uh, from the from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, is Jeb Burnside. <laughs> Good morning, Jeb, or afternoon. It's afternoon today. Usually it's morning. Today it's afternoon. Hi, Jeb. Hi, Jack. Sorry, I'm babbling here a little bit. Yeah, Uh, good afternoon, Dave. Good afternoon to you, too. Um, uh, I hear, Jeb, that uh, yard work has been in your life. Yeah, doing some light construction uh, on some Mm -hmm. projects and and, um, bending from the waist, you know, things like that. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Reaching down to pick up, I don't know, it's a joke there somewhere. Uh, Yeah, so uh, working on your airplane, changing the oil when possible, and... uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else yeah. going on? No, just grooving on the weather. Keeping busy. And uh, you're going away on a trip soon, right? I mean, sun, sun and fun is before sun and fun. Yeah, um, I've got to be in New Orleans uh, uh, in a few days for the uh, Aircraft Electronics Association uh, convention. convention. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in one of our favorite cities. Yes. Yeah. Nola, here we come. I know. Uh, I've been. I'm in New Orleans in in many years. I really love New yeah. Orleans. It's a. It's a, yeah. If if you've got the budget for restaurants, that's the place to go, man. Because the the eating is good in New Orleans, yeah. Yeah. and the music. Wandering up and down the you know, especially mm-hmm. in in the French Quarter and around the French Quarter, just walking up and down the streets, listening at the front doorways of all the different clubs, and it's great. New Orleans. Well, and and, and you need to budget for beignets and cafe au lait. Uh, there yeah. on Jackson Square for every morning, uh-huh. and and at least one hurricane every evening. 
<laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. The hurricane, as in the the alcoholic beverage, the adult beverage. The, the, the hurricane, as in, try not to drink more than three if you're more than three blocks from the hotel. Three. Oh my gosh, three hurricanes. That would be a thing. Um, this sounds anyways. like something, Dave. You know from experience. <laughs> David, did you over imbibe on hurricanes at some point? No, I never have. No, yeah, I'm not a, sticking to it, right? Yeah. I am not a mixed drink drinker. Uh, well, on a rare occasion, I'll fix a, a rusty nail, which is scotch and scotch well, liqueur, but other than that. One of these days, we're going to have to get the two of you up to the Lucky Star Tiki Bar and uh, let Will Hawkins uh, mix some drinks for you. I, I, I likewise was a, for years, I've been a big believer in, in minimally mixed drinks, if drink, mixed at all. I'm, I'm big on my bourbon meat or bourbon on light rocks. Um, but Will Hawkins is becoming quite the master. I don't know what the word is, mixologist or something like that. He, uh, he's, he's very good at mixing very tasty alcoholic grown-up beverages um so we should all we should all get up there someday and uh and uh say hi um what's going on in the world here let's see now like it's, the biggest problem we have with the list these days is not finding things to talk about it's deciding whether that's a story from so long ago that we shouldn't talk about it anymore but uh um, we actually have a, we not only have an off-field landing of the week we have an off-field landing of the week that's from a listener all right which is kind of cool. Um, listener Michael L. Um, sent in, has actually now sent us a, a series of, of, uh, of email messages. Um, he started out, this goes back to mid-February. Um, he said, I never would have guessed that I'd be the subject of an off-field landing news story, he writes. Kudos to the local reporter for not calling it a crash or an accident. Um, and uh, there's a link here to a story on the uh, local TV station. Um, long story short, he was flying his, um, looks like the Archer Arrow kind of Cherokee aircraft, and uh, um, and he uh, um, had an engine failure over farmland, and he set it down successfully in a uh, what appears to be like a cornfield or some sort of agricultural field that's been, been um, harvested, so it's just kind of the remnants of the crop. But uh, he landed safely, and everything's good. Um, he, uh, let's see now, he's followed up with another email a couple of days later. I follow, I figured I'd follow up, send a few close-up shots of the airplane for you guys to examine. I'd also like to call out the help that I got after declaring emergency with the whole Hallman approach. Uh, the controller did everything he could to help and contacted local law enforcement who met me just after I was on the ground. Um, it was an interesting story, and uh, um, he's provided some interesting detail. I'm not going to try and um, uh, play it all out here, but... Uh, um, and there's actually another email. Um, you guys, I'm sorry, it's not in this thing. He sent a couple pictures of the uh, the when they were craning the thing out, the airplane out of the uh, of the field and putting on a trailer to uh, to take it home, um, which was kind of interesting. Uh, he tells me that uh, the airplane came to rest sort of in the middle of this field, far relatively far from the road, and uh, um, after kind of figuring out what was going on and getting the appropriate approvals. Um, the local farmer was friendly enough and helpful enough to help him tow the airplane carefully, he points out to me, um, tow the aircraft from the middle of the field over to near the edge of the road, where they then brought in a crane, which uh, lifted it up over a fence and set it down onto a, a trailer. And uh, and they've taken it, taken it back. So uh, um, how many of you airplane owners, here's your question of the week. 
How many of you airplane owners have insurance specifically to cover removing an airplane from a field that is otherwise not where it's supposed to be, but <laughs> not damaged? Yeah. This yeah. is an interesting question, and I, I, I have to admit, I never asked Michael L. about this because I didn't want to bum him out. But I, every time I saw another one of his little reports here, I'm thinking, this has got to be an expensive proposition. Oh, my gosh. It, this, can, this is a, it yeah. can be really expensive. Yeah. And this is a club airplane, so it's, I don't know if that makes it better or worse. But, uh, um, you know, and uh, so it's 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 all, you know, I mean... It's a very interesting story. Congratulations to Michael L for getting down on the ground safely and for negotiating the whole recovery process. Um, and, uh, you know, good deal. Good deal. And, and, a, and, and, and a tip for those of you that may not have thought about this in the past, if you have a dead stick into a place where you can't fly out and there's no other damage, no damage to the airplane, uh, you have no insurance claim. Unless you yeah. buy a rider on your haul insurance specifically for removing an undamaged airplane from a place where it wasn't normally supposed to land. And we, we had that, we carried that kind of insurance on both of our Pipers and it was cheap, like $50 add on to the haul premium. It probably is more now. But a $50 add-on that would up to $5,000 to disassemble the airplane and take it out piece by piece if that mm -hmm. was what was necessary. Yeah. And uh, it could, it, if you don't have it, you might, Michael's experience, you might seriously think about asking your uh, insurance broker uh, the, the how much question because it's save you a lot of grief. Yeah. Yeah. That's good advice. I think. Um, and, and yeah, so, uh, Michael actually touched on two other subjects, which I want to touch on quickly, but anything else about the off-field landing you guys, Jeb? You... No. Uh, yeah. Good job by everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Good deal. Except uh, for the guy who, you know, made the mistake that caused the engine. To whatever caused the engine to quit. Yeah, I know. Right. Um, Two other things to see. These are from the various emails that uh, that Michael sent me. Um, he writes, by the way, I filed. Act so we talked about this for flight and whether you how, to what extent can you use for flight to um, in flight plan management, if you will. Um, and he writes, by the way, I filed, activated and closed my VFR flight plans all through for flight. He writes, he says, indispensable tool. That team got it so right. He writes. So, so there's that. Um, and then on, a, on the other subject, so um, longtime listeners know that um, I'm fascinated by the trains that pass by my neighborhood, um, and particularly the horns, that, that the, 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 the pattern of horn blasts that they apparently by law have to do every time they cross a road crossing. And Michael writes, um, the pattern trains blow their whistle at crossings is uh, the letter Q in Morse code. Never even occurred to me that it might be Morse code. Apparently it's the letter Q in Morse code. It's long, long, short, long, by the way. Um, Michael goes on to say, your comment about it in a recent episode prompted me to do a bit more digging on the origins. He writes, one theory is that the British started using it to signify that Queen Victoria was on board and everyone should give way. 
Another possible explanation was that the intersection should be quarantined to allow the train to pass. So uh, just a little bit more information about the... Uh, Hang on a second. What's the... Um... This is your all-purpose podcast. What's the what? The, uh, the pattern of, of horn blasts? Yeah, yeah. What? What's the what's the Morse Morse code for Q? It's too long. A short sorry, long. Too too long. One short, one long. There you go. That's it. That's da, the da, da, da. Boop, boop, boop. Okay. Yeah, and it, uh, see now we're really straying off of aviation here. If you look at, I actually prom- this is prom- Morse code, dude. Prompt well prompted by prompted by Michael L's research. I did a little more research, and I actually looked up the the train regulation that specifies this horn blowing. All right, wait a sec. You you know how to use the Google now? I know, um, and uh, and uh, it, and it's quite it's quite specific. It has to do with trains not only have to blow this pattern every time they cross a road. They the the, the regulation spe- specifies. They have to begin blowing the pattern no closer to the intersection than a certain distance. They have to conclude it before they enter the intersection. There's just the whole thing about about how this this is quite a thing. It's quite a thing. Anyways, thank you, Michael L., uh, uh, for uh, for all this information. Um, and uh, congratulations for your off-field lane of the week. We are a multi-transportation mode podcast. We are. We are. The NTSB has got nothing on us. That's right. Yeah. And I've never seen a train with a cow on the cow catcher. Well, that's that's good. It means it's working. That's right. Oh, you, oh, I uh, catch it. Doesn't catch it. It. All right. Okay. All right. No, I, no, no. I, I have this shark repellent thing on my desk, and it works. <laughs> Not a shark within twelve miles. Not a shark miles anywhere away. nearby. Yeah, good yeah, job. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, the FAA administrator. So we're still waiting, apparently, on to hear who's going to be, or at least who's going to be nominated, if not selected, you know, approved to be the next FAA administrator. Um, this is a story goes back a couple of weeks, but apparently there was a, a particular candidate, a, a, a United pilot, who might be the next FAA administrator. Um, I don't know whether this story is still kind of relevant, but... Uh, well, um, it's relevant in the sense that there is no new administrator having been named. Right. So, um, and, and current administrator, Steve Dixon, apparently is leaving in May, uh, regardless. So, you know. Right. And it, it won't be the... If, if there's no... And it's, I would say, at this point, unlikely that there will be an administrator named and confirmed by the time Dixon leaves. Um, right. So it hasn't been named yet. We don't know. Uh, it has, let's just put it this way: it hasn't been a high priority for the for the Biden administration the last. Yeah, few they weeks. got a few things on their mind. Right yeah. Now. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, but so. you commented that this story made reference that there are some five G issues that are somehow related what were you referring to I'm, I'm scanning the story i'm not seeing click story continues yes um all right now i'm seeing the last two graphs yeah um the last four graphs talks about the last five graphs talks about dixon's uh time on the job and, and uh you know he had the he had boeing to deal with uh in the aftermath of the max uh, uh crashes uh, and then most recently, he's had the 5G rollout thing right. to deal with, uh, dealing with FCC, dealing with AT&T and Verizon, um, among other entities. And um, 
Um, that whole thing seems to have calmed down. Have they kind of well, resolved it's, that? Well, it's, it's reached an equilibrium. I think I think a couple of people decided to declare victory and go home. Um, but uh, um, this is, you know, going to come down to uh, some people are going to have to change their equipment. Some airports are going to be restricted in the near term mm-hmm. until there's some longer term solution worked out. Um, didn't have to be this way. Uh, okay. I mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't have to be this way. Yeah. Actually, I'm sorry. I said in May. It's March. March 31. Dixon will be uh, is Dixon's last day. So soon. Cause so soon. A yeah. soon. Uh, of course, depending on when this hits the street, it could be over with by now. Um, <clears throat> right. Okay. Um, um, but it's it's I think increasingly unlikely that there will be a successor in place uh, when uh, when Dixon leaves. Right. Yeah. Like you said, the the, the administration has their hands full right now, um, and uh, well, they can walk gotta... and chew gum. But um, this just isn't a priority. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Great. Um, we want to, uh, um, pay our respects to a, uh, a fallen, um, veteran, um, Brigadier General Charles McGee, um, one of the, uh, last remaining surviving Tuskegee Airmen, um, passed away recently. David, you've apparently met, uh, uh, Brigadier General McGee. You saw on, us. What, what was that about? Uh, How'd that on, go? on several occasions, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> General McGee showed up at the same place where I was working or talking to people on the Sun and Fun radio station or something like that. And uh, I I can't think of a more humble and gracious gentleman uh, than Charles McGee. He was 102, Mm -hmm. and he'd been a pioneer in aviation going back to World War II. Mm-hmm. He flew com flew flew combat missions in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. Wow! Uh, he won the Legion of Merit with Oak Leaf Cluster, the Distinguished Flying Cross with two clusters, two Presidential Unit citations. Uh, he uh, was one of the original Tuskegee Airmen, which is how he wound up in Ramatelli, Italy. Uh, flying Mustangs to escort uh, B-17s and B-24s up into the German airspace and inspired a lot of other people to take up aviation. Now, if you're not familiar with the gentleman we're talking about, what distinguished him from so many others is he was a Tuskegee Airman. He was a black man yep. in a time when there were powerful forces in Washington that wanted to keep blacks out of the cockpit. They wanted to keep them off the, the, the lines where the infantry was, all on this bogus, unsupported theory that they were inferior and they just dropped their gun and run. Yeah. And uh, any anybody that flew as many missions... And over such dangerous airspace as uh, General McGee 
uh, can hardly be thought of as a wallflower or a coward. Yeah, and... yeah. The, the the stories of 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 both the um, courage and the skill of the Tuskegee Airmen are amazing stories. And uh, um, yeah, yeah. And on his hundredth birthday, some folks got together and arranged for him to uh, to take a Cirrus jet around uh, for for a, a jaunt around Eastern U.S. and mm -hmm. uh, and I got to think, and here's, here's a man that bridged the racial divide, who was distinguished in his military service, and he had to wait until a century old before he got to fly a jet. Really? And, yeah. And uh, did it well. He liked the airplane. Uh, I bet. Um, so easy to fly, even your grandfather can do it. Okay, all right. Um, what uh, now? So I want is we must be nearly down to um, the last of the surviving Tuskegee Airmen, um, as we are the the last of the surviving World War II combat veterans in general. Um, um, you guys, we're, we're yeah, okay. We're gonna date. I'm gonna date myself here. Um, I remember um, back in the early days of I think it was the early days of my attending Oshkosh um, was when we were seeing the last of the surviving World War One veterans. Um, maybe it wasn't Oshkosh, but in my lifetime, I remember those stories very somber. No, you're talking about Rockford, man. Maybe so. Maybe it wasn't Oshkosh related, but I do remember these stories, and um, um, and now we're at that stage for World War II. Um, is uh, there are not you know if you just do the math, um, there are not many um, people who were of an age to be in combat in World War II who are like you know under a hundred. Um, it's a thing. So I, it's uh, it's it's definitely the end of an era, so to speak, um, and. Uh, um, our condolences and, and respect to uh, General McGee and his family, and uh, and uh, we wish everybody everybody well. Absolutely. Yeah, you got to think about it. Survived four hundred and nine air combat missions in his life. That's uh, yeah, I know four hundred and nine and three wars. Uh, was on active duty with the Air Force for thirty years. Uh, it's just a hell of a nice guy. That, that in and of itself, thirty years active duty in the Air Force, that in and of itself has to be, you know, phenomenal. Just yeah, phenomenal. yeah, quite a life. Yeah, yeah. Oh, let's see now. Um, so, so I don't know how to segue into this, but uh, um, as I've said many times before, if you like what we're doing with this podcast, please consider supporting us with a financial donation. Um, as little as a few dollars a month really helps us to uh, cover the costs of doing this podcast. You can send individual donations to the UCAP tip jar via PayPal. Um, thank you to some of our recent tip jar supporters, Michael SM, Michael ST, uh, John L, Eric P, and Lyndon N, and everyone else who has made donations to us through, through uh, the uh, PayPal tip jar. Or you can become an automatic monthly supporter via Patreon. Uh, thank you to some of our uh, Patreon supporters, Kenyon N., Glenn T., Chris H., Jonathan S., uh, and so many others who have uh, supported us uh, through Patreon. We really, really appreciate that. Uh, 
For more information about providing automatic monthly support, check out patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace, or you can make a PayPal donation to the email address podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. And you can get all this information by clicking on the box in the right-hand column of the UCAP homepage. Thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it. What else? Let's see now. Uh, so, uh, news. This is just today. Um, uh, yeah, I think it was just today. Yeah. Um, t- uh, it's been announced that Textron is going to acquire Pipistrel. Um, and, uh, and and that's kind of interesting. I, 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 it's definitely interesting. Speaking for myself, I have a little bit mixed feelings about the fact that Textron is, is kind of swallowing up another GA um, aircraft company. I'm, I'm a little nervous about them being so concentrated, um, but uh, but it is definitely an endorsement of Pipistrel and the, and the really interesting work that they've been doing um, with those airplanes in recent years. What are you guys' thoughts on this? What do you think? It uh, it's going to be interesting to see if they get the regulatory approval that they need for this acquisition to uh, uh, reach its uh, uh, culmination. But the uh, what do you think the issue might be? Why why would they not? Well, in theory, these regulatory reviews on acquisitions and mergers are supposed to help assure that it doesn't reduce the number of competitors to the point where one company could uh, uh, dominate a whole market and basically become uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, a uh, a monopoly. Thank you. Yeah, like our utilities are right. Yeah, and uh, but this is the first company, Pipistrel's first company to earn a type certificate for a fully electric aircraft. Right. Um, two years ago, and uh, Textron's planning on forming a new business segment that will focus on the development of sustainable aircraft, which is also a good thing. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm going to withhold any opinions or, or observations at this point, but it's mm-hmm. too early in the process. But uh, I have to give a, a hat tip to the folks out at uh, Textron there at uh, Eisenhower Airport. I still have trouble with that. Uh, <laughs> recognizing the uh, potential of Pipistrelle. Yeah. Because it's done fairly well uh, with its uh, all-composite aircraft. They, they make motor gliders and uh, uh, light sport aircraft and uh, machines that bridge the gap. And uh, and our we had a good friend that did a little work with them uh, yeah. over the years. Uh, you're talking about Brad. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Brad Mazzari, our late friend, our dear departed friend, um, was a big cheerleader for Pipistrelle and uh, um, largely is responsible for me being at, at all aware of Pipistrelle um, because every every son and fun or Oshkosh, he'd, he'd buttonhole me and drag me over and say, take a look at this. This is the latest, greatest. And he was always, you know, singing the praises of the work that they were doing. And it seemed justified. It seemed, you know, well-earned. Thanks to Brad, I got some stick time in a Pipistrelle at uh, Sun and Fun a few uh-huh. years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, and the airplane flew extremely well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was nicely harmonized. Uh, 
and with its wingspan, adverse yosh could have been a bigger issue, but it really wasn't that big a deal. Now, did you fly one of the internal combustion ones or the one of the electric yeah. ones? Yeah, one the internal, the in, internal yeah, a gas, a, a gas motor. And, yeah. uh, it flew well. The, co- the, 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 the cockpit was comfortable and roomy enough. I'm not as big as Brad, and Brad was no small guy. Oh, yeah. And we fit in it quite nicely. Good. Yeah. So uh, Good. I wouldn't hesitate to put my family in one. Well, you wouldn't put your family in because it's only got two seats, but I get your point. Yeah. yeah. I could do it one at a time. Yeah, okay. <laughs> there you go. Well, sure. it, I believe they've got something bigger than two seats in the I, in their market now. Yeah, I, that's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeb, your thoughts on this? No, I, I uh, echo everything Dave just said. Um, Pipistrel for all of the interactions I've had, most of them through Brad and, and uh, uh, some others. Um for all uh, appearances, they make a great product, a series of products. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, congratulations to them for, uh, for picking up uh, uh, Textron's interest. Um, I, I, I kind of wonder about the monopolization also. Um, one saving grace, and I'm sure, surely not the first one to think of this, is by adding Pipistrel, um, they've, they've, uh, really locked down the, what, what some might call the low end of the market. There's, there's LSAs, there's, uh, mm-hmm. uh part uh, 23 airplanes involved. Uh, there's some interesting technologies most, most immediately, uh, I would think for Textron motor gliders and, uh, electric propulsion. Um, well I think the as, electric may be the, the thing. Yeah, I but, think perhaps also, and I mean, there's probably uh, the word fuel cell, the phrase fuel cell bouncing around in there somewhere. Um, all composite construction, things of this sort. Um, I don't know what avionics Pipistrelle uses, but that's going to be another interesting piece of assimilation that, uh, that Textron may need to deal with. If they're smart, they won't. They'll just let Pipistrel deal with it and, 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 you know, send them a check every month. It doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, it, it's an interesting, you know, if it goes through, of course, it's an interesting uh, um, uh, step for, for Textron. It really um, gives them a wide range, uh, perhaps the widest range of aircraft under a corporate umbrella. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. David? Well, and the uh, reading through some of the questions that had popped up on the, uh, from Av, Av web readers about this, and one that makes me chuckle the most, and I'm going to quote this. This is a quote I'm reading from the letters to the uh, uh, website. If Cessna, comma, which is part of Textron, comma, was unable to make the Skycatcher C-162 work, what make Textron think that this purchase is going to work any better? Uh, my comment on this question: uh, First off, they're not starting from scratch. This company already has airplanes certified in several countries and at several levels. Uh, it's a much broader product line than just adding a, a light sport, which was what Textron was trying to do with the Skycatcher. Uh, and as such, it's going to avoid some of the what I always considered uh, 
errors in judgment on the uh, Textron decision t- team uh, over how they brought the Skycatcher to market. Uh, they uh, decided to build it in China, which was a death knoll right off the bat. Uh, and they were shipping all the American-made hardware to China to build the airplane, test fly it, disassemble it and ship it back to the United States where it had to be reassembled and test flown a second time. And all that trip back and forth across the water uh, added a lot of burden to the to the cost question. Right. Uh, the 162 flew fine. It was a nice flying airplane. Uh, I got about 18, 17, 18 hours in, uh, in one flying it from uh, 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 San Diego to... Uh, 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 the the Tampa area mm-hmm. uh, several years ago. I even landed it at uh, Jeb's airport. Yeah. Uh, uh, it caught a little bit of attention too. Uh, and it, I think this is a completely different breed of cat and being approached more logically that uh, Textron wouldn't be doing this uh, if they didn't see some favorable numbers uh, at the end of the pipeline. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll see whether or not it actually gets it. Dave makes a good point. It may or may not be approved um, for a variety and I, of reasons. And I had forgotten about Skycatcher, but that's, that's a, the, well, the guy's you know, question about Skycatcher. It's not a bad question, but I had forgotten about that, and, and especially uh, uh, how that was such a niche in, in Cessna's lineup. Yeah, but they, I mean, yes, but as David said, the, the the big difference is that is that they never finished Skycatcher in terms of you know kind of really making it into a product, whereas Pipistrelle has a track record. Um, and well, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, Skycatcher is a viable airplane, and they sold a bunch of them. Oh, yeah, I guess a, a small bunch. But, but they, they bought all of them back. Oh, but they? they may or may not have made any money on it because, as David alluded no, to, no, there's Skycatcher still in service these days. I'm sure there are. Hang on a second. Yeah, but not I many, not many available. But I I absolutely think though that the big it seems to me that the big asset, if you will, here is their expertise in the area of electric airplanes. They've really really made some breakthroughs here um, because although a lot of companies are are experimenting with electric powered aircraft, um, Pipistrelle took it all the way. They've 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 got a real certified flying airplane, and that's you know. That's valuable. That's a valuable asset. So, yeah. anyways, David uh, Jeb, rather, did you were you I, you were you trying to see how many skycatchers are flying? I was, and I'm. I haven't been through this website lately, so I'm okay. Uh, well, there's a uh, there, there's one other significant difference worth noting here. Yeah, uh, Pipistrelle has a pretty broad product line already, mm-hmm. and they have yeah. long since solved any questions and issues about mass production of carbon fiber aircraft. Right. Uh, They have the uh, retractable Pantera in the works. They have an electric airplane already certified. Uh, It, uh, I would, I would say uh, this, this one has a better chance of contributing rather than taking away from the, the finances of the, the parent company compared to the Skycatcher. So uh, only time will tell. Yep. 
absolutely. And regardless of whether it actually becomes part of texture or not, it's an interesting airplane. I recommend people to go take a look next time you're at one of the air shows and they're showing them off. Yeah, there's, uh, there's, I don't know, a loose estimate here. 5060, 162s on the FAA's uh, registry right now. Okay. Uh, 23 in California. Yeah, well. It's 18 in Washington State. Really? Yeah, which is kind of weird. There must be and an operator up there. In Florida, there's 16. So there's, you know, there's there's 50 I just ripped off right there. Okay. Um, so in each, sky catchers. Yeah, okay. Sky 162s. Um, the rest of the states are down in single digits. Right. For, and I'm not suggesting that all the states are represented here either. But, sure. okay, so there's there's 60, 70. Uh, all right. I stand corrected. It's yeah. not, I, I, I'm not... Yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm not, and I'm not trying to. Yeah. But okay. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. All yeah, right. So there you go. All right. Moving on here. Um, so we're, I'm looking at a story here. This is the uh, Gamma um, story of the aviation stakeholder groups commit to lead free aviation fuels transition. Really? Is that Jeb? What does that mean, Jeb? That's, why? why that's, uh, I forgot that was on there. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I, now you, I'm sorry. You're the one that made the noise, and now you need to explain yourself. I think. No, I, mean, I don't have to explain myself. <laughs> I, I, I made a noise. You can, you can uh, edit it out. Um, what is the story? So the I, I, so just for starters, just for starters, please don't make your websites with tiny little type and in a gray typeface on a white background. It's so hard to read. Uh, leaders of aviation and petroleum groups have committed to an initiative laying out a clear plan to transition piston engine aircraft to lead-free aviation fuels by the end of 2030. 2030. Um, uh, they announced that the, the Eliminate Aviation Gasoline Lead Emissions Initiative, the EGLE. Boy, they had to bend a lot of things yeah, to come well, up yeah. with that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I mean, how can they fail after all that work they've gone and they've, they've uh, accomplished? Uh, calls for an industry and government partnership to expand and accelerate the actions and policies necessary for a viable, high-octane, unleaded replacement for the current 100-octane low-lead aviation gasoline. Without, well, sorry, one, more, one more sentence here. Without compromising the existing U.S. transportation infrastructure system, aviation safety, and the economic and broader public benefits of general aviation. Yeah, David, go ahead. Uh, just, let's dismiss this headline right off the bat. Aviation Stakeholders Group, that's a headline written for a non-aviation audience. Otherwise, it would just say Gamma members, General Aviation Manufacturers Association members or something like that. But they needed a way to get people into reading this story. So they explained what the group was in the headline. And then moved on to the real story. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, are these all Gamma members? Uh, let's see, you know, down lower is the well, list. Go ahead, this, is a ga- this is a Gamma press release. Thing. Right. And several, so, and several associations sent substantially the same press release. Yeah. yeah there's a graphic that uh, is linked to from the bottom of that press release listing the um, uh, organizations uh, that are members of this coalition. AOPA, AAAE, which is the airport, Associated Airport Executives or Accredited Airport Executives uh, uh, of the United States, API, the American Petroleum Institute, yuck, yuck, uh, EAA, FAA, GAMA, 
Helicopter Association International, NATA, National, um, National Aviation uh, Transportation Association, uh, NBAA, National Business Air Aviation Association. So those are the what, eight, nine uh, uh, organizations listed there. Um, Dave, do you want to? <laughs> Dave, do you want to? You want to take it from there, or, or uh, you know, I'll back clean up. I don't care. Well, you know, it's been that kind, of, some kind of partnerships along these lines, off and on for the last twenty years, yeah. um, and they now have some lead-free aviation-grade fuel uh, approved for use in uh, certificated aircraft. Uh, I think what this represents is the, uh, the, the, the broad general aviation community uh, drawn a line in the sand and saying, we don't need to be regulated into this. We're going to work it out on our own. Uh, well, yeah. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, they could wind up stuck with living with something that's uh, not necessarily best for the market. I mean, there, there are two or three fuels already approved for use in certificated aircraft that have no lead in them, and uh, they haven't caught on to the extent where you can count on dropping into an airport and getting it uh, filled up with, you know, 100 gallons of no lead aviation gas. Uh, all of those efforts were private company funded, and... and uh, and succeeded in getting the uh, approvals. But they, until they can get it into the tanks and the grounds that feed the pumps on the ramp, uh, this is going to be a, a target for environmental groups that think it should be as simple as saying, we're banning any lead in aviation fuel, period, right now. Right. Which would ground uh, a lot thousands of, of us. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think Jeb makes a very good point. Was it Jeb? One of you guys just said this is to head off government regulation, um, overt government regulation. Um, I, yeah, um, it's to head off um, state and local government regulation oh, okay. and, and some federal courts. There's there's a lot going on um, at the state and local level. Um, we, we talked we have talked about, uh, is it Santa Clara County? Yes. Uh, in California. Yep. Uh, banning 100 low lead from Reed Hill View and a, and a second airport in the county. That was as of January 1. Uh, that that ban continues. It's in it's in effect, as I, as I recall. I believe it is, yeah. Uh, and the only fuel available at, in this case, well, certainly Reed Hillville, I, I presume the other one. The only fuel available is Swift fuel, which is a 94 octane uh, ad gas, and it's. Um, I, I don't understand. I don't know offhand the approval process for Swift fuel. I suspect it requires an STC, but I'm not. Right. I'm not convinced of that. I, um, it would be easy enough for one of you while I'm talking to Google that and, and, and come back with an answer. Um, that's great. There's a 94 octane unleaded AM gas out there. Um, I, my airplane can use that fuel exactly once, and it won't get very far. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I yeah, need no, a higher. It's... I need a higher octane fuel. Right now, there is 
such a fuel out there. Um, but Lemmy is not yet fully approved. Um, my understanding is that we're simply waiting on a signature. But let me come back to that in a moment. Okay. Um, this is the basic same process that the FAA and industry undertook coming up on 10 years ago um, with the PAFI. Uh, um, um, I was going to say, how, how should I? With, with something called PAFI. Right. Which, uh, uh, Aviation Fuels Initiative. I forget what the P stands for. Right. Um, and that was um, unsuccessful. Let's just put it that way. Um, the FAA and industry wasted a lot of time and money, especially federal money, on trying to come up with uh, work to work with some of the uh, oil companies to come up with um, a viable fuel. They did it in a less than um, perfect fashion. And a few years later, the whole thing fell apart. Um, it's unclear to me exactly how it all fell apart, but there was obviously politics involved. Um, this is like PAFI 2, and there's... Um, no real guarantee this is going to work either because it's basically trying to do the same stuff uh, that Paffy was doing. Um, and um, there are other players that were not involved in Paffy that have uh, uh, made real headway on developing an unleaded aviation gasoline that will be usable in all piston engines, all piston, let me, let me rephrase this, all spark ignition aircraft engines. And um, the, the problem, the only real problem here that the Eagle Initiative can undertake or can try to resolve is um, the, the uh, production and distribution, uh, which is going to need... Um, um, some coordination at some level. Um, the the, the uh, uh, one of the tricks here is let's say I'm flying cross country, and I'm okay. I'm going to New Orleans in a couple of weeks, so I can make it there on on you know probably get most of the way back too on uh, full tanks. Um, but I would like to top off at the at the destination airport or some maybe some airport in between. Um, what if um, they don't have a fuel that my airplane's approved for? What's going to happen? What should I do? Now, obviously, I should plan ahead for something like that. But what's going to happen when I put that fuel in with the fuel that's already in my tanks, whether it's 100 low lead that's still uh, available? whether it's another, a third-party unleaded aviation gasoline. What, how is that all going to, to impact my operations? Is that, are these fuels going to be compatible? Are these f truly going to be drop-in fuels? Uh, there's a lot going on here. And um, the actual act of coming up with a liquid substance that checks all the boxes is one part of it. 
uh, there's there's a much bigger, or some, I would say, uh, an equally large uh, portion of this uh, that still remains to be resolved. Bottom line is the eagle thing to me is trying to reinvent the wheel when it didn't turn very far, didn't roll very far last time. I don't see that this is going to have that much of an impact outside of uh, showing, as, as Dave correctly mentions, showing the rest of the world that we are trying to take this challenge seriously. Yeah. But for the most part of the challenge has been resolved. We're just waiting on the paperwork. Okay. All right. Um, you know, go ahead, David. Finish this yeah, off. Yeah. Just to wrap this. Uh, I was sharing bar space with another pilot who's had never flown a piston-powered airplane. Yeah. yeah. He, got in, he got in through the military where he started out on a turboprop and moved into jets, and he'd never flown GA aircraft. And, um, and he said, I don't... He said, I don't understand what the issue is here. I mean, the airlines aren't having to go through this. The military isn't having to go through this. And I pointed out that those are single users, single certificated uh, standards for one group of aircraft. It's a large group, admittedly. But here's where it hits the rubber, uh, the, the speed bump in the road. Finding a single drop-in unleaded fuel that's compatible with the existing distribution infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Because some of this stuff can't be mixed and get the right qualities out of it at the when, when it comes out of the uh, pump nozzle and into your gas tank. Uh, so if anybody wants to tell you that this is, there's some ulterior motive over all of this, to, is it, there's one jet fuel that works in all jets and works in all turboprops. We have hundreds of airplanes out there with metal tanks. We have them with bladder tanks. We have them that are fuel injected. We have them that are carbureted. Uh, and it's just not as simple as flipping a switch and saying, we're moving over to this one. The uh, sustainable aviation fuel that the uh, business aviation and airline people have been using for almost a year, uh, it's simple. It meets that same jet fuel standard that already exists and is automatically compatible with the rest of the infrastructure and works in the airplanes. They've, they've tested it to make sure. Uh Jiminy, if it was just that simple for piston airplanes, yeah. we'd be years ahead of where we are. Yeah. But yeah. it's not. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. We've got eight years. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Yeah. But, we, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, all Seven right. years, five months, uh, six months. Oh, excuse me. Well, then we are in trouble. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, I think we've reached the end I, of our I like your here. attitude, Jack. <laughs> well, you know. Um, I just, I remember way back when, when we, uh, we early days of this podcast and we were telling, I, I came across it recently where we announced that, uh, the, I don't know if it was the FAA, but the, had come up with this uh, requirement that all aircraft had to have ADSB, but it was okay. They had like eight, nine years to do it. So no problem. Um, uh, that'll, we'll never get that far. Well, 
Yeah. It's interesting you say that. Um, their plan worked fairly well. It got They're a little not, crazy at the end, but yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, it, 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 not really. How, okay, well, let me let me ask. Let me clarify. How did it get crazy at the end? There were there was some scrambling at the end. Is all I'm saying. And but that's kind of human nature, I guess. Is always going to be scrambling at the end. Um, you know, Y2K was scrambling at the end, and yeah, okay. All right. Time, the, the time available expand. No. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No. You're right. The, yeah. The work. The work, the work expands, expands to, to fill, fill the time, the time available. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Plus some. You know. Plus ten percent. You know. Or two percent. Yeah. yeah. Gee, and we didn't get to talk about the uh, the uh, belly landing at uh, Sarasota. We'll come back to that. Let's we'll come, come back, back to that, to that. An- another time. Yes. There's a couple yeah. things on there that we could come back to later on. Anyways, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Uh, um, uh, we're we're, we're we're slogging out. We're, we're slogging these things out. We're kind of gradually uh, uh, trying to turn out episodes. It's been a little bit of a challenge lately, but there you go. Um, but thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, that's, uh, let's see, my two good friends here. Jeb Burnside. Jeb's a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. He's also a regular contributor to other aviation publications. Online, you can find Jeb's work at aviationsafetymagazine.com. His magazine is on Twitter as avsafetymag. And you can also find his work at AEA.net and Abweb.com. On Twitter, he's Burnside J. And Dave Higdon. Dave is an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Av Buyer magazine. Uh, you can find his work online at avbuyer.com, AEA.net, and on Twitter, he is Real Higdon. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. You can find me online in most places by the all-one-word username Jack Hodgson. For example, twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson, YouTube slash Jack Hodgson, Patreon slash Jack Hodgson. You can find my eBooks on Amazon by searching for Around the Field in the Books section. And you can sign up for my Around the Field email newsletter at aroundthefield.net. Hey, David, was there something you wanted to tell us? Your best chance... Uh, living to be as old as General McGee is to fly because he's one of the proofs that time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan, even when it's combat. Bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. And remember, flying is not dangerous. Crashing is dangerous. That's what I told my mother when my hang gliding accident was, Mom, the (laughs) flight was great. It was a sudden stop that did all the damage.